It's the Magic Time Podcast, brought to you by Herb Foundation Media. Good morning and welcome to episode 12, my goodness, 12 episodes already of the Magic Time Podcast. I'm Scott Squires and very pleased to be joined this morning by Coach Joe Salerno, who's been a regular guest on the podcast, but a new wrinkle to the show this morning. We've brought on uh, one of the players from the Moncton Magic, Corey Allman, the DC Sniper, is here. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, good morning, Scott. Good morning. Nice to have you with us. Uh, so let's start off, first of all, uh, your most recent games, guys, uh, over in St. John's, Newfoundland, taking on the St. John's Edge, a new team this year. But uh, the roster they've put together, they've fit right into the NBL and have been playing very well all season long. So you had a couple of games over there this past weekend on Friday and Saturday. Uh, First of all, Coach, let's start with you. Um, You did a lot of work with the team. You had a couple of days to prepare them ahead of going over to St. John's for not only taking on the team, but the atmosphere there, the crowds that they get at mile one, uh, you know, a new gym, a new floor. Uh, So maybe just talk a little bit about the prep and what you thought of that very good 116-98 victory on Friday? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a great win for us on, on Friday evening over there. Um, we hadn't played St. John's since uh, since opening day for us. Uh, you know, our home opener was against was against the St. John's Edge, where we lost a, a close one. Uh, they really had a lot of turnover on their roster since since that opening day. They had six new players on their team since the last time that we had seen them. So. Uh, definitely had to spend a little more time, um, you know, with a, with a kind of a newer roster. But uh, it was all kind of the same, you know, core guys, you know, Carl English and Charles Hinkle and Grandy Glades and Alex Johnson. Um, so certainly took a, a little bit of, of kind of prep time. And, you know, uh, I thought we were prepared as to how we wanted to play them and kind of what we had to do uh, offensively and defensively against a very good team. They've been very good all season. But, um, you know, Friday night I thought we came in and we just played with, with a lot of intensity you know, especially defensively. You know, we knew it was going to be a, a pretty pretty hostile environment, and they have a great crowds over there. You know, they were 4,000-plus each night that we played them. So, um, you know, for us to go over there and get a win on Friday night and, and kind of play the nature that we did, it, it was great. It was a great road win for us. Now we'll talk about some of the keys that you had defensively, shutting down two very key players for the St. John's Edge. But first of all, Corey, Maybe just a word about your night. You know, you've been getting uh, the starts lately. You've been taking advantage of those starters' minutes. Uh, player of the game, the East Coast athlete, player of the game on that Friday night, 35 points, seven boards, three assists. Uh, what was the key for you on Friday in St. John's? Uh, <clears throat> well, the key for me was, uh, at first, was, you know, controlling Superman Johnson. Um, you know, he, he, he likes to go downhill a lot and put a lot of pressure on our defense. Um, you know, so, you know, trying to keep him out the lane and then just facing the floor for guys like Double A and Terry. It just so happened that, you know, having the players that we have, you know, that no one cares about who's doing what, and they just kept finding me. Um, you know, I'm, I was open a lot. Uh, St. John's was leaving me, and, and you know, the teammates I have is, is, is you know, like Double A has great vision. And he seen me a lot, you know, seen me open a lot, and they hit it, and I just got to knock down the shots, you know. Basically, just do your job. You know, I'm here to hit or hit shots or here to knock down shots. And and that night, just I just had it going. A shooter's got to shoot, right, Corey? Yeah, there you go. Scott, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised how many times we say that. <laughs> tell Corey and Jason all the time, hey, man, shoot or shoot. You know, shoot the basketball when, when you're open. And for you, Coach, I mean – you can make a game plan, you can set your lineup, and you can kind of have a plan for how you think it's going to go. But when you're on the sideline and all of a sudden you see a guy, in this particular case, Corey, on Friday night, who seems to be in the zone and feeling it, do you coach to that? Or do you just say, okay, he's got it going, but I'm going to stick to my game plan? I guess, in other words, when you see a guy in the zone that is feeling it, what's it like for you as a coach on the sideline? And does it change your game plan at all in-game? Well, it's great. <laughs> it's it's great for me on the sideline when when I see uh, you know Corey kind of get in the zone like that, and, and he's been in that zone uh, a, a lot this season. There's been numerous games where 
you know, we know he knocks down a couple in a row and, and he's just, he's not going to miss. Um, really all that I can do when that's going on is, is, um, you know, whether we're in a timeout or it's kind of in the middle of his hot shooting streak is making sure that we're, we're running actions to try to get him the basketball and get him open shots. You know, we have some kind of design plays for guys like Corey, um, you know, to get them three point looks. And, uh, you know, other than that, just continuing to try to go with what's working, you know, at that point in time, the majority of Corey's threes he hit were, were out of transition. So just to kind of put an emphasis on continuing to push the basketball and, and making sure we're aware of, of where Corey is or where the shooters are, um, you know, and, and then as far as, adjustment when it goes to rotation i mean you you kind of you kind of run until the wheels fall off you know i mean you kind of you keep playing that guy and don't uh you know he just can't can't defend any longer you know because he's just so tired or he's missed you know maybe two or three um and then you look to to get him out of the ball game but uh yeah that's probably the, the sixth or seventh time dating all the way back to the preseason that, that Corey's kind of found that rhythm and, and i think the the guys have done a nice job recognizing that and, and making sure that, that we get him open shots and we'll just kind of finish up on that performance on Friday night, Corey. But same thing as a coach prepares and has a game plan, so does a player. A player prepares, has an idea in their mind of what they'd like to do or how they're going to do it. But sometimes you just never know which way it's going to go. When you end up having a night like you did on Friday night, being so hot from outside, getting the 35 points and, and contributing on the other areas, is there a point during the game where you just all of a sudden say to yourself, I got it, I'm feeling it. You know, can you pinpoint when that happens, or do you just go with the flow? Um, <clears throat> uh, honestly, it just you know when I like when I see a few go in. I mean, honestly, every time I shoot, I think it's going in. <laughs> to be honest, um, but uh, once I start seeing, you know, like I said, two, three, you know, fall in a road, and it's I feel like I'm on fire. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't take me long to. To, to feel that way, you know, I, I just got to see the ball going a couple times, and and I think it's you know everything after that is is going there. Well, my broadcast partner David Tingley and I, when we do the Moncton Monk Magic home games, there's been more than one time this season where we've commented that the old school NBA Jam on fire, the flame should be over top of your head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah when you're on the sideline calling those and. And we'll just finish up the thought on that game on Friday night. You know, the offensive side was one thing, Corey. We know that you had it going. But, Coach, you know, we talked last week about the importance of shutting down some key members of that St. John's Edge team offensively. And one of the guys I mentioned was the usual suspect, Carl English. But one of the guys you singled out was Alex Johnson. And if you look at the job that you guys did on Superman Johnson and Carl English on Friday night, Johnson with nine, English for 14, so those two players, just 23 combined. What was the key to shutting those two guys down on Friday, Coach? Well, I think I think English, um, I mean, the, the key was Terry Thomas. I mean, Terry, uh, you know, I talked to Terry a little bit, and, and that was certainly the, the matchup we loved on English. And, you know, Terry, his, his main focus that entire game was was just using all of his energy and effort on on defending Carl English, making sure he had, he had tough looks. Uh, it was difficult for him to to get the basketball in positions he wanted to get it in. Um, he was outstanding. You know, Terry, I think only had six points that game, but but boy, he was. You know, him and Corey were were probably the uh, the two MVPs of that game. He did a tremendous job on on English, and he kind of made that a, a personal, um, you know, goal of his to to get stops against you know just a, a great player in this league. And then uh, you know with, with Johnson. We just talked an awful lot about how he's just—he's very difficult when he gets in the lane, and, and he—he's uh, very poised, right? And he can kind of create for a lot of other guys. Um, so I just thought it was, it was a great team effort when it came to protecting the paint, uh, how we defended him off ball screens, and um, you know we did a nice job. We, we had talked about their kind of big guns, Charles Hinkle and, and Carl English. You know, even if those two guys had big games, we couldn't let their role players also have big games. You know, guys like Glaze and Johnson. So uh, I just thought we did a great job on, on that Friday evening defending and, and holding them, uh, you know, to less than 100. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great win all the way around. Well, it's interesting you say that. And we'll move on to the Saturday game in a moment. But you mentioned Terry Thomas. When you guys played St. John's uh, the first game of the year in Moncton, Carl English not in the lineup – and we had talked before that opening game at home way back when 
how disappointed that Terry was because he wanted to have that chance to go one-on-one and defend Carl English. Coach, uh, how much was there a twinkle in Terry's eyes on Friday knowing that he was going to have the chance now finally to defend Carl? Uh, I'm sure there was some excitement. I mean, you know, Carl, being a a member of the Canadian men's national team for for as long as he has, um, you know, I think that's, that's something that, in the back of his mind is probably a goal as it should be for Terry Thomas. I think Terry Thomas is a player that, uh, you know, should get a look from the, the senior men's national team. And um, I think that was an opportunity for him to, to kind of show that, you know, he can bring something to the table at that same level that Carl had been playing at for as long as he has. So, um, but, you know, for Terry, I mean, his, his first season in the NBL three years ago, I mean, his main, he was a lockdown defender. I mean, that's what he did. That's what he did best. <clears throat> and his game has kind of morphed more into uh, a scoring role over the last couple of years, and that's just him developing as a player. But uh, him getting excited to, to kind of have the toughest matchup on the floor and, and try to shut a guy down is nothing new for Terry, and, and he, did a, he just did a great job with Friday night. Now, there's one thing that the St. John's Edge have shown is that they are tough at home. And when teams go over, of course, because of the travel, it's typically a back-to-back situation. So you guys knew that you had St. John's again on Saturday, and you knew that they were going to be ready and come out hard, especially in front of their home fans. And they did come out, and probably the overall difference in that game, you don't want to simplify it too much, but they came out and had a very big first quarter, uh, 32-20 in the first queue. And it ended up being overall a 104-100 game uh, victory for the St. John's Edge. You guys made a real run there in the third quarter. But maybe what was the biggest difference, Coach, uh, on Saturday that you saw both from the edge coming at you guys and your response from the Magic? Yeah, it was, it was a frustrating loss for us. Um, you know, we actually won, you know, three quarters of that game. You know, we'd outscored them in the second, third, and fourth quarter. It was, it was a bit of a slow start. Um, you know, after just beating them by, by 18 the night before in front of about 4,000 people, we certainly knew they were going to come out with a lot more aggression, uh, a lot more intensity to, to start that game Saturday night. And we just didn't match that. We just didn't match that intensity. And that was something that, that had been a bit of a concern of mine. Um, and I think I said to the guys in the locker room before the game, like, hey, you know, we have to, you know, turn off our kind of thoughts from last night. We're not up 18 starting this game. Um we have to kind of buckle back down and, and we just didn't do that. We, we didn't match their intensity uh, defensively. You know, they out rebounded us that game uh, by a large margin. And uh, I mean, to me, you, you can simplify it. You know, they, they played harder than us that night. I mean, there's, there's just no doubt about it. So, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta give them credit. They wanted to come back out and kind of protect their home floor and they, they played very well. They played very hard. Um, you know, and for us, I think it was certainly a game that, that we need to learn from. You know, it really doesn't matter what happens the night before. And if you are playing a back-to-back, you certainly have to put that, that first game behind you and, and refocus and come back out, you know, with the same intensity for, for the next game. And for you, Corey, uh, maybe, you know, just overall sum up your thoughts on the couple of games. Uh, the second game on Saturday uh, didn't go as well for you personally. And, and again, obviously, we know the team lost 104-100. But overall, just your thoughts on the couple of games and what were some of your takeaways from getting to play that St. John's Edge team in back-to-back games? Um, they, they, it's like they're – I've been watching them actually uh, quite, a, quite a bit before we even played. Uh, they're, they're tough on the second uh, end of their back-to-back. You know, they, I don't know exactly what their record is. I, it might be 100% because <laughs> it seems like they don't lose that second game. You know, And, and when I knew that uh, coming in, um, uh, I knew when we got them the first time, I knew the second ones would be tough. And I, actually, before the game, I told Jason that you know, tonight was his night. I thought tonight, I thought, you know, the Saturday night, uh, Jason was going to hit a bunch of threes because of the way they was guarding me um, and, and, you know, all over me. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I gave the coach, the, you know, I took my hat off to them. And they changed their game plan. They took us out of a lot of our stuff. Um, but at the same time, we still, you know, like Coach said, we didn't match the intensity in the beginning. Um, we put ourselves in the hole. And we was fighting back the whole game, you know, fighting to get back, and and we still had a chance to, you know, win that game. So, um, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna learn from it and, and continue to grow and continue to, you know, try to be consistent. 
Well, Corey, you hit the nail on the head. St. John's does have a way of doing that. As recently as yesterday, the Windsor Express went over and had a pretty convincing win on the road in the first game, but then St. John's came back and, and got him back tomorrow night. So we'll move on from the games and just talk a little bit maybe about the St. John's and the Newfoundland experience. I know, Coach, you and I had talked last week. You were excited about your first trip over. You said you had talked to some people on the phone making arrangements for different things for the team. But uh, maybe just a couple of takeaways from your first ever visit to uh, the St. John's Newfoundland, whether it was the people, the culture, the atmosphere. But uh, kind of your uh, your overall thoughts. First you, Coach, and then we'll go to you, Corey. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I genuinely loved being there. I, I loved their, uh, the downtown area. You know, the, the weather wasn't wasn't great. Um, it was kind of kind of rainy and, and misty, and uh, I really wanted to get up to Signal Hill, and, and I wasn't able to, to do that. Um, but I did spend a lot of time on uh, Saturday afternoon, you know, after our walkthrough. I actually just kind of bundled up, and, and I walked around, uh, you know, Water Street and, and uh, George Street, of course, for – probably, you know, a couple hours and I stopped into a lot of shops and, and kind of, you know, looked for some souvenirs for my kids and whatnot. And, um, just, just really enjoyed the people there, you know, everybody there just wanted to say hello and ask you where you were from and, and, you know, what you were up to that day. And, um, it was, it was great. I mean, it, it definitely is, is one of my favorite NBO Canada cities without a doubt that, that I've been able to, to go to and I've, I've been to them all. Right. And, um, you know, just a lot of character and, um, it was great. It was, it was a great couple of days over there. You know, it, it, genuinely, it genuinely was. And that's the coach's perspective. Uh, what about from the player's perspective, Corey? I know the fans in St. John's love the edge, but what was your overall experience like getting uh, a trip over to St. John's and having a couple of days in the capital city of Newfoundland and Labrador? I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, it was, uh, honestly, it was a business trip. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get to, you know, see the, go out into town at all until after the Saturday game. Um, I stayed in, you know, pretty much stayed in the hotel and I got something to eat. But, you know, walking, like walking to get something to eat and stuff, you know, you got a lot of people out there, you know, saying hello and, and just talking to you and stopping. And then after the Friday game, you know, they remember us and remember, you know, what I did. And, and a lot of people asked for autographs in the hotel. And, I mean, just just a great city. I mean, I enjoyed it too. Before I go home, I like to go back and just visit, Um uh, before when the season is over because, I mean, it was a great, you know, time there. No, I've got family over in uh, St. John's. I've got uh, aunt, uncle, lots of cousins. I've got a sister, a couple of nephews. If you ever need a place to stay, Corey, hit me up, man. I can take care of you, buddy. Okay, I appreciate it. See, Scott, you, you sound like a newfie right there. That, that's what we're talking about right there. Yeah. <laughs> you just add yeah, true story. You let me know, and I've – I've got any number of doors that would open up for you guys and welcome in. Same goes for you too, Coach. All right, that sounds, that sounds great. That's definitely, you know, St. John's is definitely a place. Uh, this summer, I'd like to take my family over to, you know, for, for three, four days. And, uh, yeah, it was, just, it, was a, it was a great great environment. It was certainly a, a great atmosphere at, at mile one as well. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, really cool place. Now, before we kind of go to the next uh, stage here of the podcast, uh, being a Newfoundlander originally, as I say, from St. John's, if you can get used to these two questions, how is she getting on, buddy? And what do you ask? If you can if you can handle those two questions and be ready with an answer every time, you'll be fine in St. John's and in Newfoundland. I, I had a couple people ask me, what, what are you at? <laughs> I, had, I had a couple people ask me that, and – I was prepared, you know. I kind of knew, like that's, you know, what's what's going on. What are you, what are you up to, right? So I was, uh, no, it was, uh, it was awesome. All right, perfect. So we're going to kind of go a little bit towards Corey for a little bit, Coach. But don't go anywhere because we're going to kind of circle back around to your prep this week and then talk about the games coming up. But Corey, you know, we'll talk a little bit about um, Corey Almond. You know, prior to the Moncton Magic, of course, you're from in and around the Maryland area around Washington, D.C. Maybe just go back, uh, you know, what are your earliest recollections of basketball when you kind of had a ball in your hand for the first time? Uh, actually, um, so back in, like, high school, like my freshman, sophomore year and stuff, like, uh, I wasn't a shooter. Um, so when I when I was younger, like, you know, I guess in, in, in New York, I hear it, they call it bitty ball. So, like, bitty ball... <laughs> I was a I was a, a shooter then. I, I can shoot it. But then when I got to high school, we started lifting weights and 
and I was introduced to weights. And in my high school, we lift with the football team. You know, we got to go in there with the football team as they getting ready, and and that's what we lifted with. And uh, I actually lost my shot. You know, my freshman year, sophomore year, I was just a driver. Um, I was playing a point guard position, um, and I just drove to the hole a lot. You know, everything I did was in the paint. Um, I could finish. I was strong. Uh, and, and But I just didn't shoot threes like that. Um, and then as, as the time went on in freshman, I mean, high school, I kept working on it in the summer and working on it and working on it, getting it back. And then my junior year, it kind of, you know, it, I started shooting more, uh, started hitting more threes, and, and the game kind of opened up a little bit. Then my senior year, I just exploded um, pretty much on the scene, like a breakout year. And I uh, started averaging about 26 my senior year. Then I was like third in the county in scoring. Um, and, and just my game just started to develop. You know, I started to understand things. And and uh, I was a senior. I was a captain, you know, one of the leaders on the team. And, and you know, my confidence just, just, you know, kept growing. Now, of course, for folks that live in Atlantic Canada, and, of course, this podcast can be available right around the world, but certainly for fans of the NBL that follow you, your high school was Gwynn Park High School in Maryland, and you were born in Oxon Hill, Maryland. For the average person that may not be familiar with those areas, you know, they'd be obviously, for the most part, would know where Washington, D.C. is or Baltimore, Maryland. Maybe in relation to those bigger markets, where exactly is Gwynn Park High School and where is Oxon Hill? Uh, Oxon Hill, uh, well, Gwynn Park is, is, is near, it's called Waldorf, Maryland. Uh, is out there uh, branding wise, um, uh, closer to like uh, Clinton and all in Clinton, Maryland. Uh, it's kind of out there though. You know, it's a little ways away from Oxon Hill. It probably took me in the morning. Took me probably with traffic and everything, forty-five minutes to drive to school. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I was, in, you know, <clears throat> when it was time to go to high school, my mom didn't want me to go to Oxon Hill High which is basically around the corner from the house. Uh, I, I knew I had a lot of friends there. And then she didn't want me to go to Potomac High School um, either, uh, which was up the street from the house because uh, I had too many friends there. And, um, you know, they, my, my parents and my, my mom and my grandma was all about school. You know, yeah, you can play basketball, but, you know, you got you to gotta finish school. You got to have a diploma. You got to get a degree. Um, so they sent me to Gwen Park. They sent me away um, pretty much. <laughs> And I knew when I got there, I only knew a couple of people. I didn't know a lot of people. I only knew, you know, probably two, three basketball players. And uh, But I was able to focus in on, on, on the schoolwork and focus in on, on the job or whatever I need to do to, to get out of there. I try to tell my kids all the time that you may not realize it now, but when you get older, you'll realize that your parents know what they're talking about. Right, Corey? <laughs> yeah, I wish I, I wish I'd have listened to her a, a lot sooner than I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things would be a little different. <laughs> so, you know, you you have your senior year in high school, you're playing ball, you're starting to, as you said, develop your game and, and know the game a little better, your shot's coming back. Uh, when did you start thinking about the next level, in other words, going on to potentially the NCAA? Uh, um, that's the one thing about um, <laughs> when I started, basically when I started driving, I, I uh, school was not uh, a priority to me back then, and that was that's the that's the one thing I regret. Uh, Should have went to class <laughs> a lot more, and I uh, handled my school business a lot more. But um, I did enough to graduate to, to graduate and get my diploma. I did enough, but at the time, um, I tried to basically I tried to fail to go prep, um, but I, I was too far ahead still fail, so I had to graduate, and then I just decided to go junior college. And at the same time, they were still trying to get me to go prep, and my mom was, you know, uh, we had a guy, Jason Sauter, who was uh, at Howard College. He came to my house uh, the night before I was on crutches. Um, we had a jamboree. I'm playing. Uh, I'm not playing, but my team is playing, and I'm there, and, and him and a, a local high school coach is, is, is uh, sitting in front of me, and they just kept saying my name. His name is Rob Nickens, actually well-known in, in the DMV area. Um, but they just keep saying my name, saying my name. You need to look into this guy, Corey Almond, and this and that. And I, I'm on crutches. I, I bust my knee up. I fell asleep behind the wheel. I uh, crashed, and uh, I bust my knee up. 
Um, luckily, I didn't need surgery or anything, but they, they just keep saying my name, and I type them, and I'm like, uh, hey, I'm Corey Almond. And he's, uh, they're like, well, this is the guy you need to talk to. Uh, actually, so Coach Salter comes to my house the very next day, and I signed that day. You know, and, and you know, a, lot, a, lot, a couple of people was mad at me, you know, as far as, like, AU coaches and stuff. But my mom was like, you know, if you can't get it done in two years, then you don't need to, you know, you, know, you don't need to play no more. I mean, uh, you need to, you know, look at doing something else. Because, like I said, they was more on school. They knew I can play, but it was more about school, so. Uh, I signed to junior college. I went to Howard College for two years. And I was like, you know what? You're right, Mom. If I can't get it done in two years or whatever I needed to get done in two years, then you're right. So I decided to go junior college right out of high school. So after a couple of years at Howard, the Bearcats from Sam Houston State came knocking. Uh, you ended up on their radar, and uh, you went there for a couple of years. And uh, in 2010 your second year with the Bearcats, the team was on fire 25 and eight. And you ended up getting into the round of 64 part of March madness. But what are, what are some recollections that you had from that, uh, that 2010 year, 2009, 2010 with the Sam Houston state Bearcats? Uh, yeah, I had, I had, Man, I had a great time. <laughs> um, my uh, my junior year, I I broke the record for most threes in a season, uh, and then I or tied it, and then I think I broke it my senior year or something, uh, something like that. Um, but like once again, there, man, it, it's you know I, I would all to the coaching staff and, and the, the teammates, man. They they made my job easy, uh, putting me in a position to be successful. Um, you know, running stuff for me, running me off screens, and and my point guard, he led the the conference in, in assists, uh, and that's actually what what draw me to Sam Houston because of, of what I do. You know, I'm a shooter, um, and basically I need you know someone to drive and they kick to me. You know, and and that's what he did. Uh, I actually had Jacksonville, University of Jacksonville, uh, that wanted me too, but their point guard was more of a, a scoring point guard. You know, he didn't have he didn't average a lot of assists. He scored more so you know and and so i you know just thinking about my career and thinking about you know which team was best for me or best fit for me um that's why i went to sam and played alongside ashton mitchell well you had a great you talk about setting the records in your junior year your first game your debut with sam mm-hmm. houston state you had 24 points including eight from outside the arc and you tied the school record for most threes in a game in your very first game. And then you go on. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, your memories. And hopefully when I give you this date, it will uh, open up the deep part of your mind and bring these memories back. But what are your recollections of November 19th, 2009 at Rupp Arena? Mm. Ah, man, I remember this. That's crazy because I remember the whole the, the shoot around. I, I went in the shoot around and we're we're shooting. I'm like, man, this gym is, is I love it. Like it's, it's a shooter's gym, um, and uh, I mean the rims are soft and that, and it's just everything felt good about Rupp Arena uh, from the morning uh, in the shoot around. I'm I'm telling players like, man, I feel good in here. I'm not, my shot feels good, you know. Then in the game. Uh, you know, first of all, you gotta you, you gotta take in the, the whole atmosphere there. You know, they're packed, and you're playing against seven pros, NBA players, or soon to be NBA players, with all this name, and they're they're like number four in the country. So you, you gotta basically settle in the game first. You know, and uh, once we did, um, I missed like my first four, I believe. I think I was like 0 for four, and they they took me out the game. I come to the bench, and, and a, a drill I used to do before uh, when I leave practice, before I left practice every day, I had to make 10 straight on the shooting gun from five spots uh, before I could leave uh, the gym. And I, uh, me and my uh, the GA assistant, uh, he used to set up the gun for me and all that. So we get to the bench, and he's sitting there. He's like, 10 in a row. That's all he kept saying, 10 in a row, 10 in a row. I'm like, all right, you're right, 10 in a row, right, starting now. And from there, I think I didn't miss another shot until my very last shot of the game. I think I made about 11 in a row. 
Well, that, again, that game, November 19th, 2009, at Rupp Arena, as you said, against number four Kentucky, with players like John Wall, Patrick Patterson, and DeMarcus Cousins on the Kentucky bench. 11 of 16 for three points, the most ever made from outside the arc at Rupp Arena. To this day, when you think about it, can you still believe that it happened? What's it like when you look back on it even today? Uh, it was my night. It was my night. Um, like once I, like I said, once I see a few go in, I, I feel like everything's going in, you know. Uh, and that night, like I, I, like I said, I started 0 for 4, and, and then I started. And actually, the first four was my best looks. Uh, but I, even those, I thought that some of them should have went in, and they didn't. And then, and then I hit two. And then once I hit two, and I was like, okay, there it goes. And I hit a couple more, and then I hit a double pump on John Wall. And it was just like, all right, this is my night. So then I just started looking for it more and more, and, and my teammates looking for me more and more, and, and it just they just kept falling. Those are the kind of things and those are the kind of stories, Corey, that I, when you get old like me, you'll love telling your kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, kind of just it's crazy because uh, the, the game in St. John's, uh, my, my daughter, she, she watches the games. Well, I guess she watches them. She watches them and run around, and then she'll come back. And she, So I call her that night, and I'm like, hey, baby. And she's like, hey, daddy. She's like, you shoot the ball. <laughs> that's her thing. Like, <laughs> shoot the ball. And she, <laughs> she, and that's she, what she said. She's a shooter, right? Yeah, she tells me all the time, shoot the ball, Dad. And it's just, and she she turned four today. So, oh, so it's her birthday it's, today. My goodness, what's her name? Chloe. Happy birthday, Chloe. My goodness, four. That's wonderful. Yes. So we'll we'll kind of uh, tie up a knot here on your career before you came to the Moncton Magic. Of course, you had some time in the G League with the main Red Claws and probably one of my favorite team names I've ever come across, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. And, of course, you had a, a cup of coffee, as they say, a, a quick stint in the Turkish League. But maybe, Corey, just a comment on some of your experiences after college and what are some fond memories from either your G League time or even internationally? Oh, I, I learned a lot uh, from that. Um, you know, in the D League, my first year, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a rookie. you kind of finding, trying to find your way, kind of, uh, like I tell our rookies now, you know, y'all need to learn a routine. You know, what is your game? day routine you know as you know it's a small thing but it's very important you know i, I think and, and uh i was learning all that i was talking to a lot of the vet guys um you know but as a rookie you know you kind of a you, you don't understand the politics of things and and you you know I, I was a little hothead a little bit and i wanted to play and play and play but you know in the g league you know it's it's kind of with the NBA, you know, what they're looking at and, and who they're looking at. And all that stuff plays a role. And I, I just didn't understand that, you know, back then. You know, I'm thinking, like, you know, players should play. You know, if you're playing well or if you're, you're working hard, you should play. And and that, that was a learning experience for me. You know, I went through my first year, you know, as a rookie. Uh, I finished the whole season. Then the second year, you know, I was playing well. It was the lockout season. And then they uh, they sent some guys up. So I went from, you know, the bench to a starter and I had a couple big games and then they sing the guys back down and I couldn't handle it, you know, mentally, you know, I, I showed a lot of attitude and it wound up getting released, you know, actually. So I, I learned from that, you know, as far as, you know, keeping a, a composure and, and, and or no matter what goes on, you know, you got to continue to work at it and, and be positive, you know? So that's what exactly what I learned from the, the, the D league. And then going to Turkey, uh, I, I was only there for a short time, but, you know, it was Europe, my first time in Europe, and I didn't understand the game there, and I didn't understand uh, uh, how to be effective there. Um, and I didn't play well, you know, just, you know, to be honest, I didn't play well at all. I kind of knew the release was coming. <laughs> uh, we had a really good team, um, actually, and I and it, it was – I was, a, like, the fourth point guard there. You know, they had three, actually, Turkish point guards that was really good. And so I, I understood that, you know, you know, just just being ready. You know, at, at any job you get called or, or come in there, you got to be ready. And uh, Turkey, I just wasn't ready. I didn't understand it. It was a learning experience. Now, Corey, 
we're going to kind of circle back around and, and bring coach back into the conversation. And thanks for hanging out there, coach Salerno. But, you know, you mentioned a really good point and, you know, it's obvious that so many experiences that you have had have helped you grow as a person, as a player. I see it now because I cover university and even high school sports, but certainly at the college level, I will see players who were stars, if you will, on their high school team. They go to university in their uh, freshman year, sometimes in their in their second year, and they're disappointed because they're not getting playing time. They're not getting on the court. They're almost feeling like if I was out there, the team would be winning. Why aren't they playing me? And I know that you kind of touched on some of those lessons, but there's players going through that right now. Somebody that has had those experiences and have learned from those lessons, what would be one or two key things that you would want those young players to know and to learn now to help them? Trust the process, you know, whatever it is, and continue to work. Uh, you only can control what you can control, you know. Uh, you control your work ethic. You can control whatever minutes you get in there, whether it's two, whether it's 15, you know, do your job. You know, bring a lot of energy and and. You know, you gotta you gotta build that trust. You know, especially when you're a new a new player coming into a new team or or anything. You gotta you gotta earn the trust of the coach. You know, you gotta earn that trust. So that I mean, just just trusting all that. You know, and, and putting the work in. And uh, that's just how I feel. When you put the work in, you know, the results will show sooner or later. You know, you just gotta continue to stay the course and continue to to, to put the work in, and, and, and it all play out. Trust the process. Uh, three very valuable words. Okay, Coach, we'll bring you back in. We'll talk about your prep this week, but kind of just to tie a bow on our conversation with Corey. Of course, coming into the month of magic this year, you know, you had a lot of responsibility uh, as being part of putting the roster together. Uh, when did Corey come on your radar, and what was it like for you when you knew that you had a chance to bring Corey, and why did you want to bring Corey? Uh, Corey had, I mean, he was on my radar a few years ago, uh, he, he played about 16 or 17 games with the, uh, with the St. John, then Millrats. And uh, actually, when, when he left the team, I had reached out to Corey and, and talked to him about uh, bringing him to PEI when, when I was there. And, uh, you know, he was, he was going home to, uh, to kind of be with his family, and then he was expecting his daughter. And um, anyway, long story short, I mean, I kind of wanted him back then. And uh, this offseason, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when it was. It was probably late summer. Uh, I would imagine. Yeah, you you messaged me. Yeah, Corey sent me a message actually, um, just kind of expressing how he wanted to get back up to playing at a higher level and in, in you know the NBL Canada, um, you know from a from a, a play perspective was a step back up. You know, competing from what he had been. He had gone home to be with his family for a little while, for a couple seasons. So uh, I was thrilled when he reached out to me. And, and to be honest, with you, I hadn't found that many just pure shooters. Uh, during my recruiting efforts this summer. So, you know, it didn't take long for Corey and I to, to kind of chat a couple times, and, and I kind of tried to explain to him the way that I do things and what he could expect, and, uh, you know, he signed on fairly quickly. So you've got a couple of days now since your game on Saturday against St. John's. Of course, you had to travel back, and you don't play again until this Saturday against Cape Breton. But overall, Coach, I know this is Thursday and you still got Friday to go, but overall, what the couple of days like since you got back from St. John's and what have you been doing to get prepared now for a couple of big games this weekend? Uh, well, we had Monday off. Um, and then, uh, see, right now we're finally reaching that stretch of the schedule where we have, you know, four to five days, you know, between kind of games. You know, we have a back-to-back -back on the weekend, but we have the week to prepare. So, um, we're trying to balance that out again with rest and, um, you know, putting in some, some small tweaks and changes. You're seeing teams for the fifth and sixth time now. Okay, Brad, this will be our, uh, our sixth game against them this season. It will also be our seventh game against the, uh, the Storm on Sunday. So we're just trying to kind of tweak and adjust and change a couple things. Um, I'm also trying to get us back, like I said, into that kind of, kind of defensive mentality. Um, that I thought we we were really solid at the first quarter of the season, um, but anyway, we we had a good practice uh, Tuesday and in a film session practice yesterday. Uh, today we'll just kind of be some light shots uh, for some guys, and then we'll we'll kind of get back at it tomorrow with another film session and practice. So uh, you know the focus is on Cape Breton. 
Um, I think they're they're playing very good basketball right now. They've definitely made some improvements to the roster. Uh, so you know, I mean, they they put it on us the last time we played them uh, down in Sydney. So uh, tough game for us on on Saturday. And Corey, what about for you? Uh, I know that. Obviously, sometimes it's a little different scenario for players when they've got some time off. Yes, you've got to follow the plan that the coach puts out for you in terms of walkthrough, watching film, uh, practice, whatever. But what are some of the things that you've been doing this week to prepare for uh, the game on Saturday? Um, uh, same. Uh, same. I went through the uh, – we had weights, and um, I got in a, you know, the hot tub and – I'm going to go get some shots up today. I did some yoga yesterday. Um, you know, just, just just doing stuff to, you know, preparation. You know, that's that's my biggest thing, you know, prepping and getting ready for for the game and over the weekend, uh, prepping my body and, 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 you know, my mind and everything and just trying to put everything in order to, to, to play to play well. Scott, this, uh, this second half of the season for us um, – you know, a lot of our systems are in place. You know, we know what we want to do offensively. Uh, you know how we want to defend and what we want to do. So, I mean, it, so much, I think, of the second half of the season, especially the month month and a half leading up to the playoffs, you know, you're, you are really trying to make sure that your guys are at their best on game day. Um, so whether that is yoga, whether it is a, an extra day of rest, and maybe it's a film session instead of a practice, you know, that that's kind of what you're, you're focusing on, especially with us with a veteran group. You know, we're 26 games in. Um, you know, we want to start focusing on, on the body and just making sure that our guys are 100%, you know, for, for game day, especially the weekend of a back-to-back. Yeah, you kind of uh, led me into my, my next kind of question. It is now getting down to that stretch time. And, and February, uh, a big month for the Magic at home, uh, the largest uh, chunk of home games in a short amount of time, so to speak, uh, in February. But as you said, the team has been together now. You've got your systems in place, but how important, and maybe it's an obvious question, but how important is it for you guys to to use that old saying, to make hay while the sun shines and to come out and defend home court and to, uh, you know, to make the most of this time at the Coliseum this month? It's it's a really, really important month for us. We, we've talked about it a lot as a group. Uh, having six straight games at home, you know, and, and we've been we've been pretty good at home. I think we're eight or eight or nine and three uh, on the season at home. You know, this is the time that we kind of try to make our move. You know, we also play Halifax in St. John, I think four times over the next two and a half weeks. Uh, so those are those are really big games. You know, we know we have to take advantage of this this month uh, where we are at home so much and try to make our move to to go to the top of the Atlantic Division. Well, we're certainly looking forward to seeing you guys back on home court on Saturday night at 7 o'clock against the Cape Breton Highlanders. Of course, Dave Tingley and I will have the call uh, on the stream as well as on TV1. And I would be remiss, gentlemen, if I didn't talk about Super Bowl 52. Now, not only because it's one of the single biggest sporting events in the world, but Right now on this podcast, I have two very definitive fan bases. I have Coach Joe Salerno from Vermont, a very big New England Patriots fan. And from the D.C., Maryland area, I've got a Corey Allman, who is a gigantic Philadelphia Eagles, Fly Eagles, Fly fan. So, gentlemen, let us get your thoughts on Super Bowl 52. First, let, let me go with you, Coach. You want my thoughts, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> there was there was quite a pause there. <laughs> how you, you know what? Was, how uh, you feeling after that one? First of all, I'm, I'm I'm feeling better because Corey Allman handled his win with grace. He is he is a true pro in almost everything he does, and that includes uh, winning winning bets and and not <laughs> not rubbing it in my face too much. Um, I, it was a great game, and, you know, the funny thing was, Corey had said, you know, we've been talking about Philly's defense, this and that, this and that, you know, for the week leading up to the game, and uh, I kind of said to him, it wasn't, wasn't Jacksonville, weren't they the number one defensive team in the league? You know, I don't think Tom Brady had a big problem with that. I think New England handled that fine. He said, oh, you know, we're, we're going to get to him, the pressure, we're going to get to him at least one time, and, uh, you know, the strip sack that, that won the game for him, I mean, he was, he was spot on, so... Um, 
I was pretty upset sitting in my living room there. Um, I had my assistant coach, Mitch, with me, and, and he said, there's the strip, you know, Corey called it, you know, and then he was right. So uh, it was a great game, though. It was, it was a great game. And, um, you know, I, I, I do. I think I think Philly outplayed New England that game, and uh, they, they definitely deserve to win. They deserve to, to win the Super Bowl. Now, Corey, coach has already said that you've handled the Philadelphia Eagles victory with, with class and with grace, but – what was it like watching that game? I mean, for me, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I obviously had reasons to root against New England. But as a sports fan, in my humble opinion, one of the best Super Bowls I've ever watched. I don't know where the defense was for most of the game, but it made it exciting. But what were you thinking when Coach Doug Peterson makes that call on fourth down where they pull out that little trickery and they end up throwing a pass to Foles? What, what was going through your mind at that moment? First, I, I think I cussed them out first because the, the play before that, I couldn't believe we didn't run the ball with the two running backs we had. <laughs> I think we threw the ball the first, the third down where we should have tried to run the ball in the end zone. And I and I, the, second, the fourth down, I'm like, hey, you got to run. Like, you got to give the running back the ball. I'm thinking of the Seahawks when the Seahawks passed on the, on the goal line. I'm like, man, if we just don't run the ball. And then he runs it. I thought he was running it. They did all that tricky stuff, and and Nick Foles wide open. I mean, I, I lost it. So <laughs> yeah, he, he he was loving the coach then. <laughs> he was loving him then, wasn't he? Listen, I I, I I sent out a tweet after that play when the game was obviously still very much in doubt, and I said, regardless of the outcome, that could be one of the greatest play calls in the history of the Super Bowl. I mean, it was it oh. was. I can't imagine being a fan of the team and watching that play. Like and you, then, then the, the, fall off the couch. Where were you watching? I was watching in, in, in our apartment on the couch. We always watching it. Actually, Anthony Cox fell asleep, but <laughs> I, was, I, sure, I sure woke him up. <laughs> and you know, watching the game, you're always you're obviously thinking, "Oh gosh." Don't leave Tom Brady any time on the clock. Don't leave Tom Brady any time on the clock. First of all, Corey, to you, before the strip sack, because you don't know what's going to happen, you see the Eagles go down, you see them score, you know what's happened in the game, the missed extra points and all of that. You look at the clock and you see over two minutes left, so they got the two-minute warning, they got a couple of timeouts. Knowing Tom Brady and knowing what this Patriots team does, Corey, what's going through your mind when you see him with the ball with over two minutes left? You know, this is this is that was right before the strip sack, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I I called it that drive though. Like once we scored, I said our defense gonna get to him one time, right now. So this is it. Have- yeah, I, and that, that's that's what I banked on. I didn't know Nick Foles was gonna play the way he played. I didn't. I never banked on Nick Foles playing like that. The whole playoffs, I've been banking on our defense, and our defense has been amazing all season. I feel like um, they've been all over the place and. And then when Cooks went down, I really liked our defense with Tom Brady just being Tom Brady. He, he played amazing. I was throwing over 500 yards passing. Oh, my goodness. Now, <laughs> now we'll go to you, Coach. Be honest. When you see the Patriots get the ball with over two minutes left, Brady, Belichick, they've done it so many times. What was your confidence level? We're not talking after the strip sack. We're talking Patriots get the ball over two minutes left. First of all, Corey Allman here sitting across from me, with a little twinkle in his eye, saying he was calling for a strip sack and the defense to show up after they hadn't been there for 58 minutes, I, I find interesting. Um, but uh, I was confident. I, you know, I think they actually got the ball back with like a minute 54, and I knew they had one timeout. And uh, I had been saying, I said, you know what, I'd love to see Tom Brady have a second-half comeback, a fourth-quarter game-winning drive, win his Super Bowl, and ride off into the sunset and retire. That, that's what I wanted. So the, the table was set, you know, for that exact scenario. And, um, yeah, man, Philly made a play. They, they made a play, and uh, they, they won the Super Bowl. But, but again, I, I thought for sure uh, we were going to drive down the, the, uh, the field and, and score a game-winning touchdown, just as much as Corey was sure the defense was going to make a play. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, obviously a huge victory for the Eagles, their first ever Super Bowl in franchise history. But, Corey, I can sit here as a Steelers fan and I can remember the James Harrison 
interception on the goal line of the Cardinals and running it all the way back. I can remember the Roethlisberger to Santonio Holmes tiptoe in the end zone. That Super Bowl, the fourth down play, the strip sack, the coolest thing, and I'm happy for Philadelphia Eagles fans because you'll have those memories for the rest of your life. And it's certainly been fun talking to you guys. The the little bit of uh, fun team competition back and forth. And, and last thing on the Super Bowl, you talked about a bets, and I know, Coach, we were kind of joking about it the couple of weeks leading up. Uh, is there is there a bet that uh, maybe you can divulge to the fans exactly? You know, did, do you have to wear an Eagles jersey, Coach? Uh, do you have to eat a Philly cheesesteak? What what do you got to do here? It was cash, Scott. It was cash. <laughs> without without the bet with the physio, no, John. Uh, he um he had to put on an Eagles jersey. He had to post it on social media, and he had to put uh, I lost the bet to Corey Amon. Nice. <laughs> that's that's how it's done. Well, you know what? Straight up cash works. It keeps it simple. But uh, the jersey and the and the social media post. That works as well. Listen, final thing for you, Corey. I ask you sometimes when you're on the court, but for fans that might see you warming up, you're always out there and you got those big wireless Beats headphones on. What are you typically listening to during your shoot-around and warm-ups? A lot of Boosie. A lot of little Boosie. <laughs> can, you, can you give me a sample? Because my daughter listens to a lot of stuff, but I, I don't know that she's listening to that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know if she wants to listen. Listen to Lil I listen to Lil Boost. I listen to Future. Uh, a little bit of Jay Z. Actually, Jay Z is my favorite uh, rapper. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do a lot now in days. So, but I still listen to some of his old stuff. Um, um, what what guy named Money? A guy named Money Bag Yo. I listen to him. <laughs> it's just it's, it's a few few of them. I listen what? to all, a little few different stuff. What's your one pump-up song? If you had to pick one song in a big moment for you to have played over the arena speakers as you're hitting the floor, what's the one song that comes to your mind right now, your pump-up song? Uh, probably Lil Boosie, God Wants Me to Ball. It sounds like a Corey Almond original. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, listen, guys, this has been an absolute pleasure and a treat. We really appreciate you guys taking the time uh, out of your day. I know that you got prep coming up for the weekend, but we certainly appreciate uh, you taking the time to this, Coach Salerno and Corey Almond, the DC sniper. And uh, listen, we look forward to having you back on home court on Saturday and Sunday, Saturday against the Cape Breton Highlanders, Saturday night at 7 Atlantic, and then 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon against the Island Storm. Guys, enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll see you on the weekend. All right, thank you, Scott. All right, Scott, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. That has been Coach Joe Salerno of the Moncton Magic as well, the D.C. sniper, Corey Almond. This has been the Magic Time Podcast. I'm Scott Squires. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll talk to you again soon. And a reminder again, check out the Moncton Magic website for all of the information on the players and the schedule as well as links to the live stream. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon. You've been listening to the Magic Time Podcast, proudly brought to you by Firm Foundation Media.